This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots and helping them reach their aviation career goals. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here's your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast Episode 2, Seniority, Age 65 and the Pending Pilot Shortage, Interview with a Professional Flight Simulator Instructor, and a Product Recommendation to Enhance Your Flying Career. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast, a podcast about achieving your aviation career goals. By listening to this podcast, I hope you will better define your dream so you can start living your dream. For some, you might be listening to this podcast because you've always wanted to know what it's like to be an airline pilot. Others might want to pursue a part-time career in aviation as a mechanic or flight instructor. Still others are trying to decide whether an aviation career is for them. Whatever your reason for listening, welcome. In today's episode, we're going to discuss uh, seniority, uh, what it means and how it impacts everyone involved in aviation, the age 65 rule, and why it's affecting the pending pilot shortage, and what you should be reading if you plan to fly jets or more complex aircraft. And most importantly, I have an interview today and a guest, Angie Terrell. Angie is a former airline captain and has changed her career path recently, become a professional simulator instructor. Uh, Welcome, Angie. Thanks, Carl. You know, your story is so terrific. And, you know, we were talking offline before. You really have had an incredible journey. Uh, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started into this whole flying business. Sure, absolutely. I always wanted to be a pilot when I was a little girl, but it was cost prohibitive at that time to do flying instruction for my parents. So I decided I wanted to join the military and have them train me how to fly. So I enrolled in ROTC at Penn State University, and I thought that that would be my career path, getting to flying via the military. Unfortunately, About two months into it, I broke my leg while at Penn State, Mm -hmm. and the recovery that ensued forced me to drop out of the ROTC and instead get a degree in microbiology. So I did research and development, clinical lab work, pretty much everything that you can do with microbiology for the next 10 years. And I decided after taking a discovery flight in Dallas, Texas, that flying was really where my passion was. So I told my boss at the time I was going to be quitting and I was going to be going to flight school. She laughed and she thought I was joking. (laughs) And I said, no, I'm, I'm serious is why and oh well I didn't realize that women flew so sure they fly (laughs) so (laughs) I did um, 141 school this was in 2001 before September 11th my plan was to do it quickly instruct uh, as little time as I as I could possibly instruct and get to the airlines but September 11th happened and that changed the plans a bit fortunately because I discovered that I loved flight instructing and I enjoyed the time that I got to do that Um, I had to fly freight for a while to build my multi-engine hours, though, because my school didn't have a multi-engine aircraft. I had a lot of single-engine time. But at the time I was trying to get the job at the airlines, they hadn't really started hiring after September 11th. So when they did, 
you had to be very competitive as far as your total time, your multi-engine time, the way you got your time. So flying freight was a very good way for me to build good, solid time. And the airlines really liked that when I did finally make it there to, to apply for the job. So I flew at a regional air carrier for almost eight years. And then, like you said, I decided to change careers, and I now am a full-time simulator and ground instructor for 121, 135, and Part 91 clients. It's incredible that the path you've taken there, you've jumped off, but you've immediately gotten to something else that seems like you really enjoy. Now, going back to your what you said about the multi-engine time, it's important to build multi-time, I guess, to get into the airlines. Um, what type of plane were you flying? I was flying uh, Barron's, Bonanza's, and Cessna 401's, 402's. I started off in the Bonanza, and you had to prove yourself in the single engine before they would let you fly the twin engine. So once I proved myself in the single engine Bonanza, I started flying Barron's and, again, Cessna 401's and 402's. Oh, cool. You know, I I had no idea. I didn't realize you did freight, because there's a lot of folks, I guess, that might be interested in in doing freight. There's many different levels of that. Usually, you said you were trying to build time flying freight, but there's also other people that do that as a full-time career. And so I assume that, if you can maybe explain to our listeners why that's a stepping stone, what you did as compared to what other people do with FedEx and United. Right, absolutely. This, I used it as a stepping stone. It, they're light twin engine airplanes that I flew canceled checks. I also flew car parts from South Texas up to Michigan. And we also did charter flights in those light twins. So like I said, I used it as a stepping stone to gain my multi-engine time. But a lot of people, even that I train now in the, uh, the high-dollar simulators, they're flying freight as FedEx feeders or UPS feeders. Feeders meaning the aircraft are not light light twin engine aircraft, but heavier turboprop aircraft, 45, 50,000 pounds, flying the packages to Federal Express at their big hubs so that those packages can then get on the, the larger uh, aircraft. So they're using this as a career path, flying the, the heavy turboprop aircraft, um, whereas I used it as a stepping stone, flying the light twin aircraft. Well, interesting. So the I'm sure you have a lot of interesting stories as far as flying the, the freight. Now, I assume most <laughs> of that's at night and in some bad weather sometimes. It was, but I'll tell you what, that was probably the best flying that I've ever done and that that made me not only a conservative pilot because I, I did make some bad choices during the, the year or so that I flew freight. I, I made some choices that looking back now, knowing what I know, I probably would not have made. Um, it not only did it make me a conservative pilot, it made me a really skilled stick and rudder pilot because there there was no co-pilot. It was only me. There was no autopilot. Um, sometimes there was no second VOR, so there was uh, NDB approaches. And like you said, I was flying at night. I would fly from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. I would load the freight myself, 12 to 1,500 pounds of freight. I would make five to seven legs per night, and it was all me. So that's probably... One of the aspects of my aviation career that I'm I'm most proud of, because it was so challenging, but I did get to be such a, a skilled stick and rudder pilot, and like I said, more conservative than I ever would have been had I not gone that way, because I learned through hard knocks what I shouldn't do. <laughs> so do you think that helped you when you moved on to the to the airlines? Oh, absolutely. They were very impressed with the time that I built as a freight pilot. I did 135 
freight flying, mm-hmm. which um, there's all different types of freight flying. Mine was 135. They really thought that that was time well spent rather than just renting a plane and flying to get a hamburger in a twin engine airplane. This was <laughs> hardcore flying. This is challenging flying, and they respected that. And I definitely got some kudos and definitely got some nods when I did go to the airline because of that. Well, before we talk about the airline and the simulator instructing, I want to touch on something you said before. Your employer, uh, when you were in another field, was talking about how she didn't realize that women uh, flew airplanes. What's interesting is uh, there there's a, a low percentage of females actually in flying, although it is growing, and that's great. There, what would you tell, say, a female that's just starting, just getting into aviation, what you, should you tell them? about how they can get started and also the challenges they might encounter possibly because there's still just there's a few folks out there and there's not very many uh, women although it's growing i would tell any female wanting to get started in this profession do not let anyone dissuade you do your research make sure you know exactly what you're getting into it's not all glamorous and it's not all airline flying there's there's a whole myriad of of types of flying that you can choose from. So definitely research it. Once you do decide to make the plunge and, and get into this profession, don't look back. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it because you can. And don't let anyone tell you, especially you can't do it because you're a girl, because you definitely can. And in fact, being a female in aviation has helped me my female qualities, the ability to multitask as a female <laughs> comes in handy as a pilot. So it's it's a wonderful profession. And females are actually given, again, kudos and a head nod when they are in the profession. And people do see you in, in the terminals walking around. They do see you at the FBOs. I've had so many people shake my hand, tell me, thank you. I've never seen a female pilot before. Thank you for doing this for yourself. And thank you for doing this for women. And man, I'll tell you, that's the best feeling in the world. Of course, that's not why I did it. But gosh, to get that feedback from people I don't even know, yeah, that's that's uh, pretty incredible. That's really cool. Is there any organizations that you've gotten involved with too, possibly for uh, like uh, female aviators or anything like that? Did you ever get involved in any of those? Women in Aviation is a wonderful organization, as are the 99s. Just very supportive, not only of females in aviation, but in aviation in general. They have lots of scholarships available, lots of activities, and it's a good way to bond with fellow aviators who happen to be female and share a lot of the same experiences as you. Cool, cool. That sounds awesome. And, you know, we've been big promoters of, of uh, women in aviation, women of aviation, and, and uh, the magazines there. They, there's a lot of resources, like you said, and a lot of scholarships available. So you got over quite a few hurdles there. Now you moved on to the airlines. How did, how did you like that? What, what were your favorite things about flying for the airlines? Oh, you know, I love all the people that I got to meet. I flew with a new crew every week, and because it's so standard in airlines, that's not a big deal. You're, you can interchange crews and have it be the same successful mission because you are trained to be so standard. So I got to fly with a, a new crew every week. I got to see new cities. I got to experience the people in those cities, the sights in those cities, and the training that I received at the airlines was just top-notch. So I'm very grateful for that. 
Well, it sounds like you had a good time there too, and uh, and but you decided to go on to uh, becoming a simulator instructor, and that's that's really interesting. There, um, there was something about the airlines I wanted to ask you, and what we we're going to discuss a little bit here is uh, seniority, because that's a I find that's a tough thing to to explain to people, and uh, people especially that are not in this industry and want to learn about getting into this industry. Seniority, I always tell people that seniority isn't uh, just one or two things. It's everything. It's, it's <laughs> when you get to the airline, you start at a number, and then the only way you move up is that if somebody leaves, okay, from the airline, and the only way you, you will actually move into other equipment is if the airline grows or people ahead of you leave. Um, I, I, what, how would you explain seniority to somebody? I think that's, that's a pretty good way to explain it. It, it is just if, if you imagine your life as an airline pilot, as a solar system, seniority is the sun. It is, it is everything to you. It's your quality of life. It's your progression as far as your um, professional goals. The more senior you become, the, the better your quality of life. As far as home life, being home more, not having to commute from your home to your base, which may be in a different city, a different state, a different country, given your situation. Seniority allows you to progress from, in the airlines, first officer sitting in the right seat, the co-pilot, to captain sitting in the left seat, the boss. And that progression not only boosts your paycheck, but it also boosts your credibility or your marketability to other airlines or to other corporations if you choose to go that route. Um, so it's it's really everything. Yeah, it sure is. And and what's interesting is that that plays into uh, this this pending pilot shortage. You know, the, the in the airline industry, there's always going to be a pending pilot shortage because people get hired and it seems like they get hired in droves and then all of a sudden it stops because then there's a recession or something happens. There's, there's something that people also don't realize is that you can't fly for the airlines after age 65. And that age 65 rule is, is really going to impact quite a few airlines. I know I was looking at some statistics about uh, with United and Delta that they're going to lose quite a few pilots, almost half their pilots just in the next, I think they said, eight or nine years. Um, that age 65 rule, uh, is that, that also plays into that seniority. So here you are. You can look at this list. You're working for an airline, and you look up, and you see who's younger than you above you, and that's as far as you're going to go. I mean, what, what's your take on age 65? Is that kind of similar, or can you maybe explain it? I agree, and I think depending on where you have been in the last few years, age 65 has been a difficult challenge for you because the previous retirement age was age 60, and a lot of us, not only in the airlines, but in corporate flying that wanted to get into the airlines or that wanted to get in into corporate flying for a different company or what have you, almost banked on those gentlemen and ladies retiring at age 60. And therefore, you kind of map your career progression based on that. So when they didn't, and there's a five-year almost buildup of extra pilots that hadn't been anticipated to leave, and now they're not, again, that affected all of our seniority. We became stagnant because there was no movement because of those people staying in the industry. But now with them getting out of the industry, there's going to be a big problem in the other direction because there was all of that stagnation and there was all of that discontentment among a lot of pilots. I think a lot of folks 
did not get into aviation because they, they didn't want to find themselves in that same situation. Because we don't have a lot of pilots to pull from, now that these folks that are age 65 are retiring, seniority, you're going to be moving with lightning speed up the seniority chain, but there will be nobody behind you to fill the void that you left. I think this is a fantastic time to get into aviation because of that. Right. And, that, and it's interesting what you said, the filling the void behind you. You know, I was looking at some numbers and you look at all the regional pilots, the, all, the, all the people that are retiring at the majors, they could suck up every regional pilot in the next 10 years. But where are all those regional pilots going to come from? Um, I assume you kind of have your pulse on that. You were just saying you have some people in the simulator where you work and they're, they're trying to build their time from the people you talk to. Are they going to try to get to the airlines? Exactly. There are two types of people in the cargo feeders that I work with. Those folks that do want to stay where they're at and they want to make this a lifelong career uh, for whatever reason, family reasons, uh, location reasons. A lot of the folks, though, are using this to build good time. And I'm saying that in, in quotation marks because, once again, flying these these heavier turboprops, flying as a, a feeder for a large um, freight carrier is really good time. It, it requires crew coordination. It requires system knowledge because this is a little bit more complex of an aircraft. And so, yes, absolutely. These folks had to have at least 1,500 hours to get this job. But what they're doing is making themselves more competitive for the next step, whether they go on to you know one of the major package carriers or they go on to one of the major uh, airlines or a corporate job. But yeah, absolutely. They're planning to move on. Cool. And, you know, now that we're talking about it, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about what we came here to talk to you about primarily, and that's becoming a simulator instructor. And I think, you know, what you're doing, I think, is really cool. I mean, I, I used to love teaching people in the simulator, and it's so cool when you, you sit there and you watch someone and the light bulb goes on. You're like, yes, they got it. <laughs> and oh, that's, that's exactly, exactly what I say about why I love to teach. And especially at this level, these are accomplished pilots that are just new to the airplane that I'm teaching them. So to see someone that, that already has a firm grasp on aviation knowledge, warning to watch their light bulb go on. What, what's it like to be an instructor, like a simulator instructor? What's, what's your day like? My days are uh, not are predictable with change. Uh, I will teach a two-week ground school, and after the two weeks of ground school, I teach from 8 in the morning till 5 in the afternoon with an hour break for lunch. After that, we move on to the simulator, and depending on the simulator availability, we have four-hour blocks of time in the simulator with an hour brief and a half-an-hour debrief. So I could be teaching in the simulator at 6 in the morning, or I could be teaching in the sim at 4 in the afternoon, or anywhere in between. They have midnight shifts as well just to accommodate all of the students that we have. And that's what I do like about it. I like the variability of it. It's I still get to go home every night, but there's still a lot of change involved too. Well, that's cool. You, look, there's something you just said. You you get to go home every night. That is a rarity for somebody who's actually working in the airlines. You have to be super senior, and you're just starting out, and you're home every night. That's pretty cool. Exactly. That was one of the primary reasons that I took this job. Like I said, I love my airline experience and it's been wonderful, but I'm at a place now where I just would like to experience a little more home life, but still have aviation be a part of my life. And this is the perfect way to do it. Plus, I love to teach. 
Awesome. Now, speaking of that, say you want to become a simulator instructor. And, uh, you know, I had looked at this in the past and said, gosh, this looks so cool. That is just wonderful being able to teach people every day. What do you think is needed to be a good, and I stress a good simulator instructor? What do you think are, is, is a good re, uh, requirement for becoming a good si- simulator instructor? To be a good simulator instructor, you have to be a good people person. You can have all of the aviation knowledge in the world. And if you can't communicate that in a way that someone will be able to grasp onto it and internalize it, it doesn't mean much, all of that knowledge that you have. And being able to read a pilot, being able to understand his or her background, where they came from, the what they know, and then relating what they know to what is unknown in this new situation is the key in being a successful sim instructor. So if someone wants to become a simulator instructor, what, what do you think they should be doing now? So they're just starting out. What, what direction do you think they should go in? What the company that I work for looks for is a varied background in aviation. I have part 91 experience. I have part 141 experience. I have uh, freight experience, airline experience. The more varied your background, the more marketable you'll be as a simulator instructor. And they're looking for experience so that you can relate to these pilots that aren't first just starting out. They're more experienced pilots who are looking to a pilot that's more experienced than them to impart that knowledge and that wisdom and share that with them. So the more experience you can get in different areas of aviation, general aviation and airline and freight, all of that goes into making a good simulator instructor. So you don't have to be just an instructor because a lot of people think that's what I have to do, just become an instructor. They, they want a whole varied background. Exactly. My instructor background uh, was critical in knowing how to instruct people, but that I would say is maybe 10% of what they looked for in me as a simulator instructor. It's, it's your overall aviation background and your overall a- aviation experience. If you if someone got into into this whole simulator instructing, uh, what kind of career progression is there? You know, what uh, what can they look towards? Is there new equipment? Do they, can they move? Absolutely. The company that I work for has been in business um, for for several decades, many decades. And we have simulator centers not only in the U.S., but throughout the world. And they encourage you, if you do want to find another place that fits better for you within the company, they encourage you to apply to other centers overseas, other centers here in the U.S. They encourage you to learn new aircraft. So if you don't want to stay on the one that you're comfortable with, that you know now, they want you to branch out. They want you to learn more and to be able to teach more. If you choose to go on to a different type of progression within a company such as mine, you don't have to continue to be an instructor. You can be a director of instructors. You can be a director of training. You can be a director of the center itself, which is more of a a business management and aviation background. Or you can go into different areas of curriculum development within the center. That's interesting. So it's not just instructing. You can do other things. You can do any type of management. The thing that you just talked about, simulators. Now, I think this is something we didn't tell people. What what exactly is the simulator you're working on? I know I have a PC simulator at home, and um, what, what does yours look like? These simulators are oftentimes more expensive than the actual aircraft themselves. Wow. They are created with 
top-notch visuals. In fact, I flew to New York in the simulator the other day, and I was sightseeing around the Statue of Liberty and around downtown New York because the the visuals are are so phenomenal. You actually feel like you're there. The screen wraps around you, so you have the entire experience not only visually but with um, the elements as well. You can hear it rain. You can see it snow. You can feel the bumps on the runway. So simulators are 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollar simulators that just give you the entire experience of flying. Oh, cool. That that must be awesome. I know I've been in a few of them, of course, uh, at work, and they are, they're, they're pretty neat. Some are even better than others. I mean, you can see all around you, and you can see some incredible details. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see the one you have. That, that'd be cool. Just to, to It see. is fun, and you're welcome to come visit anytime uh, you can fly it. <laughs> I, I might take you up on that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Just don't embarrass me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. If I crash, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the, the other beauty. If you crash, well, shoot you just control alt delete and start over again (laughs) (laughs) exactly Uh, hey um you know the people that want to get into this do you know what kind of job prospects there are for simulator instructors any ideas there are actually i do there are quite a few jobs available for simulator instructors and again the age 65 rule and the seniority and the way things are are about just about to start moving in aviation a lot of folks that have been sim instructors for quite some time are thinking about getting back into actual real airplane flying which leaves sim instructors spots open. So there's a lot of turnover. These folks um, either want to go to back to the airlines or go to the airlines or go back to corporate flying. So it's something that you're not locked in and there's a lot of flux. There's a lot of change, just like in the airline industry. Cool. So now that 65, that doesn't apply to you though in the simulator, right? It does not. We have quite a few instructors that are over 65. They've retired and they've decided they are not quite ready to get out of it yet. They want to still be involved. In fact, we have an 82-year-old instructor who is an ex-Delta captain. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And he's probably one of the best ones we have. Awesome. (laughs) I'm sure he's got a lot of knowledge to impart to people. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. Now, the in, the simulators, now these are big simulators, they're really cool centers, and, and the, the pay is actually really good from some of the, the minimum research I've done beforehand, uh, starting off, and it's not like the airlines where you start super duper duper low, uh, you can actually make a living. Uh, exactly you can (laughs) what they try to do is on the airplane that you instruct in they try to simulate a 10-year captain on that airplane and they make your play commiserate with that pay scale so you're coming in um, lightning fast seniority upgrade coming in at a 10-year captain pay because they want qualified instructors they want people to stay they want people to be happy and a paycheck goes into that. So they're trying to do as much as they can to, to go as far as they can to give you a good quality of life with excellent medical and dental benefits and holidays off, weekends off, that type of thing. Well, you know, you should sell for this, these folks, because I'm ready to change my job right now. <laughs> I'll be getting my resume after this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that sounds like a great, great job. The uh, now who now simulators. The uh, I, I've heard of a couple of them. There's like one called uh, Pan Am, I think it is, and Simcom and Flight Safety. Are there any other uh, big employers out there? Do you know the names of some of them? Those are are the big ones. Um, CAE is another one, mm-hmm. and but CAE, 
uh, flight safety, Pan Am. Those are those are the the big major ones that you have, you know, airline pilots going to, and you have uh, experienced pilots. So those those are. There's a lot of smaller centers, and like you said, the simulator that you have on your desktop, there are some folks that, that do teach with those simulators, less complex aircraft, but um, they do offer an experience, but not quite the same experience as the $50 million simulator. <laughs> right. Well, that, that's what I teach on is the little bitty simulators, but uh, that's all I can afford. Exactly. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and they're great. They're great for procedures. But uh, once you get into into the simulator that you're in, the, the level Ds, and you're actually flying the plane, you forget that you're not actually in the airplane. And uh, you actually get out and you say, wow, there's we didn't land or anything. We're still in this box. <laughs> We were in the simulator. I was flying as a co-pilot for one of our clients, and, and we took the smoke masks off, and we were doing the emergency checklist for the evacuation at the end, and I actually got up out of my seat, and I was headed out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's oh, cool. that's right. Okay. <laughs> so would you say that you have, like, the typical lifestyle of a, a sim instructor? I do. This is pretty typical. You have um, very forty-hour work week. Sometimes more, sometimes less. I don't. I don't necessarily go to work every day. If there aren't clients that need to be trained, then I don't have to go to work. So I could have a you know a a two-day work week, or I could have a six-day work week. So it, it's um, for the most part, though, forty hours a week, and you're home for supper. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to tell the folks that maybe I forgot to ask you uh, that you might want to uh, relate to them about uh, about your job and your career? I would just say there are so many aspects of aviation. I haven't even touched on a tenth of them yet. There's so many things out there that you can do if you just be open with your mind and think outside the box. If you don't want to be an airline pilot, but you still do want to fly, that's okay. There's a bunch of jobs out there. And especially with these age 65 folks retiring, it opens it up more and more because there's going to be movement in the airline industry overall. So don't pigeonhole yourself. There's a lot of different options. That's something I try to stress, and that's one of the reasons I started doing this podcast is tell people there's so many other things you can do. We all think about just the airline jobs, but there's everything out there. As a matter of fact, you can still be involved in general aviation. I fly small airplanes. As a matter of fact, I go fly a 182 tomorrow morning. And, and Angie, you actually fly small planes too. What type of planes do you fly? I do. I try to fly small planes every weekend, or at least every chance I get. I fly Cessna 172s. I'm learning to fly tail draggers so that I can learn to fly aerobatic aircraft like a decathlon. Ooh. I also uh, fly gliders. Those are airplanes that don't have engines. You get towed up by an airplane with an engine, and then you get released and you glide. So I'm learning to do that as well and hope to be accomplished enough to be an instructor in that at some point. But if it's got wings, I'm up for flying it. <laughs> oh, cool. Sounds like you <laughs> truly are passionate about aviation. That's terrific. That's wonderful to hear. Well, I, you know, I really appreciate your, your talk to uh, me and also talking to our listeners. And I'm sure there's going to be a, a few questions. And I was wondering if it'd be okay if I could maybe uh, send some of those questions your way after uh, after a couple weeks. I'm sure some folks are going to ask them something. Is that okay? 
I would be more than happy to answer questions, to talk to anybody, to offer my opinion. That would be wonderful. Absolutely. Great, great. And, and hopefully you'll stick around just for a second. There's one of the things, a segment of our show that we like to do. It's a recommended product or service. And I'd like to get your opinion on this. Uh, I'm, I'm giving a, a recommendation for a book. It's uh, actually called The Turbine Pilot's Flight Manual. And uh, it's a book I read before I moved up to the larger, more complex aircraft. And it really helped me uh, begin to fly jets and turboprops because the book uses descriptions and diagrams that makes really complex systems easy to understand. Have you ever uh, heard of this book, Angie? In fact, I've read it, and I just read it recently because I had forgotten a lot of that information and preparing for my current job, it came in handy and absolutely love it. Excellent book. Cool, yeah, and I'll have some uh, the links in the show notes there. And, and Angie, once again, really appreciate you talking to our, our folks here at uh, Aviation Careers Podcast. And, and maybe we'll hope, hopefully we'll have you on again sometime in the future, and we'll definitely keep in touch. It'd be my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Well, folks, again, thanks for listening to Aviation Careers Podcast. Remember to keep your feet uh, firmly on the ground and uh, keep your head in the skies. And I'm sure that uh, when you do do that and you have a good plan and you keep looking forward and you keep moving forward, you will get to your aviation career goal. It's a varied path, but as long as you keep your eye on the goal, you will get the prize and you'll get to your dream job. And defining that dream job is what we try to do here. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.